Shut up and sit down. Okay, welcome back to another episode of the Limited Upside Podcast. It's finally here, Mike. We've made it to the playoff time. We figured the best way to do this was to tap into our, our vast network of intelligent NBA writers here at SB Nation. We have one of our best, Paul Flannery, joining us. He is our, we'll call it the Eastern Conference Specialist for our playoff breakdown. Paul, it's great to have you back on the pod. One of our best? Come on. <laughs> okay, you're at, least, you're at least top two. Okay, I'll take it. <laughs> Uh, but no, I definitely appreciate you coming on here. We're going to try to break down just really the East as a whole. And then from there, we'll get into each of the series. So I think the best way to start this off is to just talk about, well, there's one team who Vegas thinks can win the Eastern Conference. And then there's three other teams who in the Western Conference who have a chance to win the title. We're, we'll talk about them another time. That's the Cleveland Cavaliers here in the Eastern Conference. They start off with a familiar foe, not the Pistons, but Stan Van Gundy, who knocked them off in 2009 back when LeBron was a younger, more athletic, spry man. So is there anything that I should believe as the common NBA fan that should tell me that the Pistons have a chance here to beat the Cavs? And then from that, does anybody in the East have a chance of beating the Cavs? Paul, have a stab at that. Well, I, yeah, I don't think the Pistons have a chance to beat the Cavs in a seven-game series. I don't think they're ready yet. Um, I, I really like a lot of what they did this year. I think Stan is a fantastic coach. He's proven that time and time again. And I think Reggie Jackson is um, as long as he's healthy, you know, this is a big stage for Reggie Jackson. And I think he, you know, he, he's going to want to go off in this series. I think they can give them some problems. I, I think I picked the Cavs in five for this one. And that's sort of the Stan pick, right? <laughs> like, you know, the gentleman's sweep that he'll figure out a way to get one. And I, I expect some of the games to be pretty close. But I don't think Detroit is, is – I think they're at least a year and a couple of players away from being a serious contender out here. As for the rest of the East, you know, I, part of me says no way Cleveland's got this in a lock. And part of me says the right team, the right time, and maybe the wrong you know, twist of an ankle here or there. And this could get real interesting real quick. But I'm not quite there yet. I think this is Cleveland. The problem I have is I don't know who that team is even now. I think if Miami had ended up on their side of the bracket, that's the team, if I'm Cleveland, that I'm worried about. They played them tough during the regular season. They've got the perimeter defense. They've got Hassan Whiteside. That's the team I'm going to be a little worried about. But they're all the way on the other side of the bracket, which I think is a big break for Cleveland. I, I think it sets up well for them because – I respect what the uh, the Pistons have done, but I watched that team, and I'm I really not sure what there is to fear about them. I think it's not that hard to take Andre Drummond away. I don't think it's that hard to take Reggie Jackson away. I mean, relatively speaking to the rest of the teams in the playoffs. Uh, and I, their shooting is very touch-and-go. I think Cleveland caught a break. I think Indiana might have been a scarier matchup. I'm curious if you guys agree. You, go ahead, take, you can take that one, Paul, because I'll tell you, what, I don't necessarily think that the Pistons are an easy matchup. I think physically speaking, they present some issues. Uh, I think you're going to have to see more Mozgov. You're going to see Cleveland kind of play one type of basketball in round one, which I don't know if that helps them moving forward into maybe round two or as we project into the finals, kind of having to switch their identity in order to play a specific series. So what do you think about the actual player-to-player matchups in this series? Are there anything that could be possibly exploited by the Pistons to get that gentleman sweep you spoke about? 
I, I like what you said there, Ben, um, because I think that if I can go to my Hubie Brown voice here, um, because I think that Detroit, because of how big and physical they are, will force Cleveland to play a little bit, which they can totally do. They can play this way. But for Cleveland to have the run that they want to have, they're going to have to downsize a bit and, and play smaller. So this will be interesting. But no, I mean, there isn't a single matchup here. I mean, obviously, Drummond is a handful in a right circumstance. But there isn't a single matchup here where you say, yep, that's a, that, that's a clear advantage for Detroit. I don't see one up and down the lineup here. And so from that standpoint, no, I think that this is, this is a series Cleveland would be best served to just get out of the way, get it done, don't mess around, get a few extra days of, of rest in between series, and just be done with it. So what kind of team beats Cleveland? That's the question I want to know. I mean, besides Golden State. Right. Um, <laughs> right. Each team. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, my, I, you know, I think, I think Miami was the one that sort of, you know, that a lot of us have been looking at all year long. I, you know, I even thought from the beginning of the season, I think I had Miami in the conference final for that reason, um, that you know, uh, under the right circumstances, could give them a little bit of a problem. Uh, we're going to get to Toronto in a minute, but my feeling on Toronto is, is if they can get through this first round with a minimum of drama, and I'm not sure they can, that they are good enough. They are good enough to give Cleveland a, 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 a series. I'm just not sure that they're going to get there. Um, but I don't want to jump too far ahead in the conversation. But, yeah, I, you know, I, I mean, I love Atlanta. I love Boston. I love Charlotte. I love the way those teams play. But matchup-wise, I'm not so sold on their ability to beat Cleveland in a seven-game series. Well, I, I think you need what you need is a, a guy who can make Kyrie Irving work on defense. And, you know, a lot of teams have that. I think you need a team that – will make Cleveland play a certain way that they're they're not accustomed to. You need a LeBron guy. Uh, that's, I think, what Detroit lacks. They don't have a LeBron guy. And then you look ahead to the next round. I mean, Boston has LeBron guys, but I don't think Atlanta does. But Atlanta has a point guard. Those, I think, are the two elements you need. And you need a defense that I think is willing to just let LeBron shoot, and that'll be that. And... Yeah, that some teams have that. It it does still feel like this Cleveland team doesn't really fit together, and so you know, it doesn't feel like Kyrie and LeBron are all the way there. It still isn't quite clear what their best front court is. I think they play best when they take Kyrie out and they put Del Vadova in. I think the pieces fit better. I don't know if the the hole is as powerful as it could be then, but I think everybody kind of plays well together at that point. You know, we talked a little bit about these matchups and these different types of series that they're going to have to go through. Personnel-wise, it's still not totally clear what their best lineup is, and that can be a good thing, and that can also be a bad thing. Yeah, no, it, it, we're two years into this, and we still don't know exactly what what Cleveland team we're going to get, right? I mean, that's that 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 seems to be a major issue. Um, Again, that said, though, like I, you know, LeBron loves destroying Tobias Harris for whatever reason, <laughs> and you know, so I just, I, I, I just don't see this being a particularly long series. And I say that giving full credit to Stan for being a fantastic coach. And you know, I'm, I'm higher on Reggie Jackson than you are, Mike. I, 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 I really like his game and I love his mentality. You know, I think he might have a game, and maybe, maybe Tobias Harris and Marcus Morris knock down like a whole bunch of threes and the crowd gets into it and they steal one. That's basically what you're looking at from Detroit's standpoint. I think, I think you hit it there too when you mentioned uh, Dova Dova. You might see more of him in this series because of that Reggie Jackson matchup being a physical point guard with Kyrie. I think there might be a level of holding Kyrie back to, a, to an extent 
in this matchup, um, given that they're going to probably need him even more in that next series against two teams that have smaller, quicker guards, which would be more his, uh, his rhythm. Um, but again, we're projecting a little bit here. I want to get into the Raptors Pacers because this is not your traditional 7-2 series. Um, I think there's definitely some questions to be asked, just thanks to the, we'll call them the ghosts of Paul Pierce past in the closet of Toronto. There's just a guy each year on a team who they should beat who hurts them, or a guy or two, which ultimately is what's been setting Toronto back with these early exits to Brooklyn and to Washington the past couple years. This is the best season they've had in, a, in quite some time. So are we fully sold on Toronto as a powerful two-seed who could give Cleveland a run for their money in the Eastern Conference Finals? Or, Prado, are we looking at a situation where not so fast and the Pacers might actually be, at least in your mind, a favorite here to win this series? You know, I'm 80% sold on Toronto, I, I guess is a good way of, of putting it. I, I, I think they have. They've. I love what they've done this year. They've got a great backcourt. They're well coached. They're very balanced in terms of offense, defense. They do both pretty well. They, I love the way they manage their rotation. I love their bench, which has been killing teams this year. I love team organizations that don't say we need bench scorers. We need just good bench players. And they kind of make it work. I love Corey Joseph, love Patrick Patterson, love Bismack Biombo. That's a hundred percent love, man. Why only eighty percent uh, faith then? <laughs> I just the problem I have is one problem I have is Damari Carroll's still not back yet. He, I mean, all the way back. He's playing. I still still think it's an open question how much he can give. And if he's not there, and you look at this first round matchup, but also going forward, there's a hole as a wing defender. And this hole has killed them the last couple playoffs. And the Nets took advantage of the fact that DeRar DeRozan couldn't guard Joe Johnson. And the Wizards took advantage with the lack of perimeter defense last year. And their defense has slipped a little bit without Damari Carroll. And if he's not there, they're going to start, I guess, Norman Powell, who's played well. They're going to play more Terrence Ross. I don't know if those guys can stop the top wing players in the league. You know LeBron for sure, but also Paul George. And my I mean, my greater problem with Toronto is that they have won this year by kind of stacking the deck. Sort of, you know, like you you're a tennis player, Ben. You know how mm-hmm. they kind of stack these organizations when high school would stack the lineups so that they put like their best players in the four spot on the ladder. Yep, absolutely. That feels it's, like it's how. To- Give yourself a better chance of winning where you can guarantee that win. Right. That feels like what Toronto has done all year. Their starting lineup is kind of so-so, and then their bench with one of their stars just kills teams. And I think that's a good regular season strategy. I'm much more skeptical in the playoffs if that can work. So, Paul, if, if the best player in the series on any given team is usually a good indicator of who wins the series, and we're going to say Paul George is the best player in this series – is Mike kind of right about Indiana being that team who could definitely upset Toronto, or are you more bullish on Toronto's chances of actually coming through this year? Well, yeah, I think Paul George is the best player in the series, but I think Kyle Lowry is the second best player in the series, and I think DeRozan is probably the third best player in the series. Yeah, I'd agree. So, um, so then you get into this situation where, look, Indiana has not exactly been a, stab- uh, you know, uh, uh, a stable team this year. They've run hot and cold. And at times they've been very, very good. And at times they've been not very good at all. So if this was – while I like Indiana from afar and I, I'm, I'm chapter chairman of the Paul George fan club. I just think he's great. <laughs> um, and you know their defense is good and Vogel's a good coach. But, you know, I, this team is just as unsteady as the Raptors are. So, you know, it's one of those deals where 
Toronto's a better team overall. They've got home court. My sense is there's going to be a few moments of angst in this series from Toronto's standpoint that they're going to have to pull through. And I spent some time with them a couple of weeks ago. Like, they know. They know that everybody's looking at them going, okay, sure, fine, prove it in the playoffs. They, and you can see, hear the quotes coming out of there. They know all that. And I think at some point that starts to play on their mind a little bit. So what happens if Indiana gets a split and they go back to Indiana? They're going to have to win one of those games. That's not the worst thing that can happen to a team like Toronto. We see I've seen this before where the team has to get through their demons, and then once they do, then they start to click. And that's why I like Toronto's long-term prospects in this playoffs, even though I think their short-term prospects might get a little dicey in a series. I'm picking Toronto, I'm pick, but I'm picking them in seven because I think there just will be a few things to work out. Sure, and that's, that's another real quick, uh, Mike, just to make a point. We usually touch on this, but the certain cities where there's just more riding on your team because of the general sportscape. I mean, do we remember the, <laughs> the fervor with which the Blue Jays fan base showed up last year? I mean, that's going to be amplified in a, in a much smaller setting. You know, Air Canada Center is probably 45,000 less seats, and every one of them is going to be packed with that same crazy... I mean, we'll be ready to throw stuff on the court should a call go the wrong way in the fourth quarter. Not to mention, on top of the Maple Leafs being the worst team in the NHL. So you just have this overall boiler or boiling over mentality that I think you're right. If one game is lost early on, it could very much shift the, the, the focus of the city to be in a, in a fever pitch. And I'm very interested to see if and when that happens. I mean, it happened the last two years. They always, they're always in that, that first game of the playoffs. Their fans are so loud and so supportive but it's almost too much pressure and it, it gets them they've lost the first game of both of the last two years uh, that's saturday twelve thirty spot right the toronto yeah, raptors spot yeah that is their spot now the one reason i think toronto is going to win this series is what paul touched on and that is i do not trust the pacers they just they have these baffling losses they are still stuck between their two styles and I, I, I like what Paul George does. I'm not nearly on the uh, fan club like Paul is because he just sometimes takes some bad shots and makes some bad decisions and tries to do too much. But on surface level, I like this to be a close series, and I really want to pick the Pacers if I didn't not trust them because they have a guy who can light up the Raptors and expose their wing deficiency defensively if Carroll is not healthy. They have big men that can kind of block Lowry and DeRozan from finishing at the basket. They have a guy who can guard Lowry and George Hill. And when you throw all that together, you know, the Raptors have been very good in close games this year. The Pacers have been very bad in close games. Sometimes that's a fact, a harp that's kind of is illustrative and that shows what's wrong with both of these teams and what's right. And sometimes that's just kind of luck and stuff turns around. I've seen that a couple years ago when the Wizards beat the Bulls, and it was that was a very similar like I can't trust that team against a real a team that had kind of much more consistent uh, flow in Chicago, and that series went flipped and went very differently than we expected. A part of me thinks that might happen again. Yeah, I mean it's it's definitely a much more enticing matchup than your say the Western Conference seven versus two matchup of uh, Spurs Grizzlies. You know that that I'm pretty sure that we can assume that'll be a sweep of some kind. This has some potential, like we said, just due to nerves, the psychology of basketball, the history of the Raptors, uh, and then just the individual in-game matchups to potentially be a little bit more than your traditional seven-two. I am more sold on Toronto, I, I believe, Mike, uh, than you are, and as as someone who would 
I'd like to maybe see about the membership fees to the Paul George fan club. I am I'm quite a fan uh, as well. But I do think this is one of those interesting series where waves of guys whose job is going to be to contain him or at least be around him, whether that's guards like a Joseph coming to try to play with him or a Carroll, hopefully if he's healthy and playing well. I think there could be some annoying matchups for him. So I'm going to just give you my prediction, guys, and then just give me your one-two on that. I think that the Raptors win in six. Prado, what do you think? I'm going to say seven, and I'm I'm going to agree with Paul on this one aspect, which is if the Raptors get through this, I think it will be like a monkey gets off their back, and it will be much easier for them to play pressure-free the next round. And I think they can challenge the Cavs. I think they have the right kind of roster. Very nice. Paul, what do you think? Yeah, I agree with me. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah. I, I pick I pick seven just because I, I I always get squishy about picking a team to lose a series on their home court, but yeah, I mean, I could see I could see six. Um, and look, I mean, I think I think Paul George is going to go off. I think he's going to have a great series. I think George Hill is kind of an X factor here, but um, yeah, I, I just think if Toronto and by the way, if Toronto doesn't do this, heads are going to roll. I mean, yep. that team could look completely different next year. So this, it's now or never for them. And I, got, I do have a lot of confidence in Lowry and DeRozan and Dwayne Casey. It's worth, right. it's worth noting that Lowry last year was very banged up. This year yes. he's fully healthy. That's a big difference. Huge. Yeah, that's definitely true. Um, great. So that would lead us to that weird matchup where the Heat and Hornets play. And, and Mike, you spent a lot of time this year working on the Hornets, kind of analyzing the team. I know you're a huge Clippard fan, and you love the way that they've transitioned into the next phase of their franchise. That leads me to believe that you're going to be picking the Hornets in this series. Am I right on that? I think the, the matchup really worked out well for them. Uh, I think, one, they're out of Cleveland's path. So if they win this first round, I think Toronto, whoever, is not that scary. But also... I think they match up better with Miami than they would Atlanta or Boston. They played Miami very well this year. They won in Miami uh, in a real thriller in March. They kicked their butts on their home court in December. I I think what uh, what Charlotte would struggle with is a team that has one kind of dominant score. That you know the sum of their parts are really good defensively. I don't know or I don't know if uh, the individual parts are. I should say the whole is better than the sum of their parts there. But they avoid Isaiah Thomas. They avoid uh, the Hawks' big men. They kind of – instead they get a Miami team that it's sort of touch and go who their number one guy is and how they score. They're pushing the ball a lot more. But Charles is really good at defending in transition. And I I think that they're, they have a matchup to stop Batum – but Batum had a big game when they played in Miami. Al Jefferson had a big game when they played in Miami. And I think that Charlotte has the right sort of pieces to beat Miami. I, I think Miami would have preferred a, a different matchup. But I'm curious if Paul agrees with me on that. You know, it's it's so funny how this last day of the regular season went. Because, you know, up until this week when Charlotte – and I still have no idea what happened on Monday in Boston. I was there, and I have no <laughs> idea how that happened. But the Celtics have owned them since they got Isaiah Thomas. Steve Clifford went on and on about about how Isaiah Thomas has completely owned them um, since, since he arrived. And so, yeah, I don't think they wanted Boston – and, you know, I don't think that Boston wanted Atlanta. So here we are. <laughs> um, things worked out really well for Charlotte. I agree with that. Um, outside of having home court, of course. Um, 
I think they're perfectly fine as a six seed. And this series, to me, this is one for the connoisseurs, right? I mean, there aren't a lot of huge names once you get past Dwayne Wade in this series that, that the casual fan would gravitate toward. But if you really like matchup basketball and if you really like teams that are well-organized and, and, and play together, this is a really good, compelling series. And, again, I, I, I go back to the home court thing which is why I'm going to pick Miami. But I could see, to me, this is a toss-up series. This is an absolute toss-up series. And, you know, since Miami went to the Luau Deng thing, where he's playing more four, these two teams, like, they, they're mirrors. They really are. They are very, very similar in a lot of ways. I, I, I'm fascinated by this series. I really am. The, the, other, there... thing, the other thing just that, why I think this is a good matchup is that Charlotte – is much more of a perimeter team, so that negates, I think, some of Whiteside's rim protection, where right. they really spread them out. Whereas if Miami played even Boston, although I guess Atlanta sort of does the same thing. I mean, Charlotte is a better is the number a top defensive rebounding team as well. You know, the concern with the Miami Atlanta matchup for Atlanta is that Whiteside would have just killed them on the offensive glass. Charlotte's a really good defensive rebounding team, so. I think from that perspective, I mean, I go back again. Jefferson really lit up Whiteside in that March game. And, you know, I, I, Miami, it looks like superficially good that they got the three seed, but I think that they would have preferred Boston or Atlanta. Yeah, yeah I, I think so. I, for sure. Especially Atlanta. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think the other interesting component of this, you mentioned how they, they kind of mirror each other at least, but I also think there's something – to be said, I mentioned Clippard in, in the lead-up into this kind of matchup here, and, and it's interesting because Spolstra uh, has had to move his team from at the top of the mountain to kind of a, a somewhat of a rebuild, but now back in the three-seed with kind of the, the twinge of, well, if Miami gets a chance to play Cleveland, that could be the team that beats Cleveland. But ultimately, I think I kind of side with you here, Mike. I kind of think the Hornets are that perfect reflexive matchup where they're going to make Miami uncomfortable. And let's be totally honest, both these teams have had some terrible losses in the last week and a half and some some good wins uh, as well. But, I mean, that the comeback the Celtics had uh, last night uh, against Miami may have been the worst possible thing for Miami and the worst possible thing for the Celtics and probably the best possible thing for the Hornets all in one. You kind of touched on that, Paul, but <laughs> just, just the way that everything changed matchup-wise, it was an insane. We should make a quick aside. Has there ever been a last night of the NBA season yes. close to last night? Yes. Yes. Now, all right. Now, okay. So with, with, take away the Kobe thing, right? Yes. Take away yes. the Warriors because that's obviously a once-in-a-lifetime. But 2010, okay. the Celtics uh, could have played any of three or four teams, Milwaukee, Philly, Miami, on the last night of the regular season, like nobody played, everybody rested. I had a two thousand word um, preview of, the, of them playing Philadelphia, ready to go. This is when I was on the Celtics beat, and Carlos Arroyo made like nine threes, <laughs> and all of a sudden we're going to Miami, and we're like, "What just happened?" It was crazy. So that two thousand ten. That one was a huge jumble as well. But, no, this has been kind of nuts. And especially if you even go back the past week, I mean, the Celtics were in Atlanta on Saturday and had a chance to really kind of – they controlled their own destiny. And then Atlanta controlled their own destiny. And then Miami controlled their own destiny. <laughs> and then nobody controlled their own destiny except for the team that came in sixth, which was Charlotte, who kind of got what they wanted out of this whole the, this whole thing. <laughs> so, yeah, last night was totally nuts and kind of crazy. Um <laughs> yeah, so I mean, again, like this series, and here's the guy that I'm looking at in this series. It's Dwayne Wade. 
because, you know, people have kind of written him off a little bit and this, that, and the other. He's still really good. Mm-hmm. And he still knows how to play, especially in, in the postseason. But Miami's kind of better when Dragic is the one doing a lot of the heavy lifting on offense. And so how is that dynamic going to work? I think that one is an interesting one to watch in this series because I like Dragic against Walker. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Interesting. No, I, I do too. I do too. But Mike, Mike, what would be the matchup then from you know all the time you spent profiling uh, Charlotte's shit? What's the matchup then for Wade that, that Charlotte's going to try to run at him? Because I agree. I think Wade in spurts, especially with a day in between, understanding, again, maybe you're down – 20 or 15 in one game, he stops that game, puts more attention to the next. He could be a very dangerous player uh, from the same sense he used to be, which he could take over games. He's done that this year a few different times uh, where he really just takes over with kind of the bully ball guard play. But what's the matchup that Charlotte's going to throw at him? Well, this is where the Courtney Lee trade really comes into play. I mean, Courtney Mm -hmm. Lee can guard Wade. Uh, Nickel Batum can guard Wade. Uh, And... I think that's plenty. I mean, I, I agree that they're kind of better when Dragic and Josh Richardson are kind of tossing the ball around. The problem there, though, is that Charlotte can roll out Walker and Jeremy Lin, and that's a really tough matchup for Miami. That negates a lot of what Miami does well. You know, the the guy I'm looking to that has to have a big series uh, is Justice Winslow. I think they the Heat need his jolt. They need his defense on Batum. And they need him to sort of force tempo because, again, Charlotte is so good at getting back. But if you really force tempo, you can get something out of it. it if this is a half-court game, I, I have a lot of trouble seeing Miami winning this series. But if they're able to kind of get a few cheap baskets a game the way they've been doing the second half of the year, the, the grab-and-go, then I think they can have a chance. So can I get a prediction from you? I'm going to go Charlotte in six. Ooh. <laughs> Paul, you man. I'm taking the heat in seven just because I'm a wuss and I always take the team with home court. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm generally right most of the time on, on these things when that happens. But um, yeah, that's, you know, I, I could absolutely, that would be the other scenario. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, I have, I've heat in seven uh, as well, but I do not think, maybe I'm in the minority here, but I don't think they're really much of a threat to beat the Cavs. I think that's just a psychological, weird component of the LeBron relationship to the city and his former teammates. But I'm saying that with Bosch's blood clot situation not under control with his future yeah. in this playoffs probably not going to happen. I don't think they have much legs to even be the threat to the Cavs if we're going to project that uh, as well. But uh, that leads us to this this last series in the East before we kind of do a, a little bit of a retrospective on how we see the East going. And Paul, that's right in your wheelhouse, man. So why don't you take us into this uh, Celtics-Hawks series? Well, I think, you know, and you will never get any of the players in there to admit it, and you'll certainly never get any of the coaches to admit it, but I think Atlanta was the one team that they would rather not, the Celtics would rather not see. Um, Atlanta has gotten the better of them, uh, I think three out of four times, and, you know, in, in interesting ways, too. So, I I think this is a tough matchup for the Celtics. I, I, I went into the night last night saying... Um, just promising myself, whoever got in that 4-5, I was taking the team, whoever had home court in 7. So I'm taking the Hawks in 7. Um, again, <laughs> I'm a wuss. But I think it's going to be a really good series. And two excellent coaches, two really good teams that play hard, that play together. I, I, found, I find myself repeating this over and over and over again throughout the East. Like the top-level elite teams are not here, but there's a lot of good depth in the East and a lot of good coaches in the East. I was talking to somebody about this last night. The level of coaching in the Eastern conference has risen dramatically in the last two or three years. And these are two of the best. So, but that said, I think this is, this could be a real ugly series from a scoring standpoint. Interesting. You think so? 
Two very good defenses. Yeah, that's true. Uh, that's a good point. Uh, I, I, this one's tough to call because, on the one hand, Boston, sometimes when they play really well is when they can play small. We can swing Crowder up and use their wing depth and just kind of harass people on the perimeter. I don't know if that's a – a part of me thinks it's, that'll work against Atlanta, but a part of me is thinking, well, Paul Millsap and Al Horford are basically small skills in a big body. And – the one team you can't swing up against is is Atlanta because Millsap and Horford can take you down inside on one end, but they can also they have the foot speed to guard the small lineups on the other end, and that to me that's the crux of why Atlanta is a tough matchup for Boston. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I mean, it's, it's it's those two it's those two guys really because I mean you know Isaiah Thomas, Jeff Teague, take your pick. I mean I you know I'm an Isaiah guy. Uh, Teague is Teague has played really really well. You know, um, Corver, Bazemore, okay. You know, who does Avery Bradley guard in this series? Does he guard Teague? Probably. So does that mean Isaiah guards Avery or uh, Bazemore? That's kind of interesting. Um, you know, Crowder, I like the Crowder matchup against Kyle Corver. Um, but those forwards, and I'm calling Al Horford a forward, um, those guys are pretty good. Yeah, I think there's some awesome basketball symmetry in this series, too. Not just because the teams are similarly built. Uh, you know, Coach Bud and Stevens are two of the best and brightest. You mentioned that, Paul. I'm glad you did. The East coaches right now, uh, from Ty Lue is probably at the bottom of the rung, and who knows, he could end up being a really good coach someday. But then the rest of the coaches, including Casey and Vogel, Spolster, Clippard, uh, Stan Van, uh, these guys are all experienced, you know, and, and, and have led multiple teams now, or at least multiple types of their uh, same franchise to the playoffs with Vogel and Casey, different iterations with them. But uh, one of the things I really like in this series is, the guys playing for contracts on a national stage. So call that Bazemore, call that Evan Turner. Uh, Horford could be playing against a team who then he plays for next <laughs> year. So Sollinger, yeah, there's there's tons of guys not just playing for contracts, potentially auditioning for their next coach, their next team. Uh, but then on the same hand, there's a similar guy on the opposite roster here who plays like them. But Kelly Olynyk doesn't play for the Hawks, but... That's kind of what uh, what Horford is. What they would uh, the Celtics would like to have a guy who can step out, be a good decision maker uh, in Olenek. You know, is what Horford already is. You know, Millsap, like you kind of alluded to, but those guys are forwards with guard brains, and I think that is ultimately uh, what the Celtics have been trying to get out of their big men as well. So I, I love the the symmetry, the the uh, the money that's up for grabs, the auditioning that's up for grabs. I think the series is intriguing on on many levels. Um, so definitely some things to, to look at there. I'll give you my first prediction. You already gave us Hawks in seven, uh, Paul, which I love coming from our resident Celtics expert. I- I'm going to tell you that I think the Celtics are going to win this in seven. I'm going to give okay. you another road, another road uh, victory there. And that's one of the things that is not something that I think that the Hawks have going for them. I've been to a few games down in Atlanta this year. There will be plenty of Celtics fans there. So I don't think that's going to be as in a decisive factor. Prade, what do you think? Uh, the thing I'm struggling with is what's Boston's advantage in this series? Uh, well, I think Isaiah Thomas, we are undermining how dynamic he's been. Just in all the little you know, individual matchups he's won throughout the season, where on paper you'd say, okay, Teague is a pretty good matchup for him. That could be trouble. But then you know, I could very well see him putting up 25 a game in this series regardless. Um, and I, I wonder what Schrader's ability is going to be in this series. The Celtics will keep him in front of them, so then he's going to be shooting more. And he's a guy who takes shots he shouldn't, even despite his own skill set. So I could see him being a frustrating factor for Atlanta as well. 
I don't know, man. Maybe I'm just buying into the fact that I think I feel like Stevens will figure out a way to optimize his lineup for a seven-game series here. They also, coming on the heels of last year's series, where they there were a lot of weird things that happened with the Olenek Love situation against Cleveland. So I'm not even really taking that for much value, other than they have some playoff experience, even though they're a young team. I think they understand how bright their future is, and I think if you can put a beat down uh, on Horford and the Hawks, it's going to be very compelling to have him come over for you. So I think they are playing for more than just this series and more than just the opportunity to play another round this year. Mm. So that's kind of what gives me at least the pause on the mental component. The physical side of it, I'll say that I'm not exactly sure where the individual matchups that you would say one for one the Celtics are better than, other than I like their depth a little bit more, and I'm not as big on Bazemore. I think I think we've anointed him a little prematurely. Okay. I, I like his defensive abilities. Uh, he's kind of a nice wing to have, but I, I do not see him even being as maybe as important in this series as an Evan Turner. And that pains me as someone who had to watch Evan Turner play in Philadelphia. <laughs> Evan uh, Turner has had a fantastic season, by the way. He's he has. To his own. And he's, I, he's, a, he's a leader on that team, too. Let me just say this, Mike, be, before you make your point. I, you know, I'm around the Celtics a lot. I have not, I have rarely seen a team as self-motivated as those guys are. And they, um, they don't need any extra motivation. They have been playing with a chip on their shoulder for the last year and a half where they are basically like nobody else wanted us and even our own general manager might not want us. <laughs> so, you know, we're going to go out there and we're going to show you. And the feeling around Boston is, hey, this has been a fun team. They're, they're kind of cool. I'm not – and I must differentiate between the Celtic fan, the invested Celtic fan and the Boston sports fan because they're two different things here. But the Boston sports fan is like, yeah, okay, like that's a nice team. Let's see how they do in the playoffs, whatever. And they've got a huge chip on their shoulder to prove to a lot of people in the city that they are a legit good team as constructed. And they don't need any, they don't need no Al Horford, Kevin Love, Jimmy Butler, whatever. They're just fine the way they are. They have, they have a lot to prove in this series. And so from that standpoint, I think that they are, they are a dangerous, dangerous foe. I just worry about my favorite player, Paul Millsap, and what they're going to do with him. Yeah, I, I don't see a match there. However, you guys have sort of sold me a little bit. Uh, I might be changing my mind here. Uh, the, one, the two matchup advantages that I, I do see, I don't think Atlanta has a good Isaiah Thomas matchup. And one of the things that uh, I've noticed about Boston that you spoke to, Paul, in your great Isaiah Thomas feature story is that when they got him last year, they didn't really – they kind of threw in him into their system. They threw a bunch of pick and rolls. They're using him differently. He's getting the oh, ball yeah. and giving it back. He's t- doing these dribble handoffs. He's sneaking away. And the whole like kind of you know, cliche that you can put length on him and stifle him, I don't know if that's really true anymore. And Atlanta, the one nice thing about Atlanta is I don't – they don't really have that, that Iman Shumpert or that Justice Winslow or that that big wing defender that can slow them. That's one advantage. The other one, I think, if they can crash the offensive glass, that's Atlanta's weakness, they might be able to take advantage. This one's impossible for me to call, but I think you have convinced me to pick the Celtics. <laughs> wow, how about that? I love it. That's great. It's, it's like <laughs> go ahead, Mike. Sorry, I was just gonna say real quick. Can any of these teams beat Cleveland? I guess we sort of touched on it. Yeah, let's but... let's sum it up then in a bow. Then, and, and Paul, this is put this on your plate. Who has the best chance of the other teams to I win? Think Toronto. The I think Toronto. I think okay. Toronto. Um, and you know, again, they got to get through that first round. But I, they played them tough. They've got some good matchups there. Um, the Miami thing is a great story. It would be a lot of fun to see. Um, 
I'm not sure that uh, I'm not. I, I I'm with you. I think we've kind of overrated Miami's chances just a little bit. Um, but yeah, to me, and look, I love Atlanta. I love Coach Bud. I love everything about those guys. But we saw them last year with arguably, well, they had Carroll at least, but you know they got swept. So yep. I to me, it's Toronto. Yep, Mike. What do you think? Yeah, it's probably Toronto. Um, although, <laughs> eh. I I would I would be really interested in a Celtics Cavs series. Oh, I, I think I, I think that would be really interesting. And Boston is kind of a pain in the ass. And I'd be really they curious. Love playing the Cavs, they love playing the Cavs. I mean, what that's I, the series I want. That's I was going to say. I think the Celtics have the best chance of beating the Cavs. Quite honestly, and most of that revolves around Isaiah Thomas. I, I Paul, you wrote a great piece on him, man. That was. Awesome. One of my favorite things I've read in the last month or so about the NBA in general. And I think there's something to be said for still how we talk about Isaiah Thomas. It's always kind of caveated. Well, I'm taking the caveat away. I think he's just dynamic. And there's something about the change of pace, the herky-jerky nature with which he plays from a left-handed little guy that Kyrie Irving wants no part of that. Think how much energy he'll have to expend on the defensive end of the court and then what that means for his offensive game and what that means. Uh, I, I, might, I might change offense. my pick here, guys. <laughs> oh, I, hate, I, I don't I know what it. to do. <laughs> you know you know how much it takes as a Philadelphia sports fan to be so pro-Boston in any capacity, but I'm telling you, that's where my mind sits with the Celtics team. They're, they're very likable. I, can't, I cannot deny that. I generally root for my best interest, and my best interest would be to be able to stay home second round so maybe i should change my pick i don't know man i i need to i need to think this one through a little bit more but yeah i mean i keep coming back to home court and i i hear what you said about atlanta's home court but they do they do show out for the playoffs i was down there in in 2012 um they hammered them down there in a game five i think it was absolutely destroyed them um so yeah you know it's I, i still go back to home court does it feel does it feel paul you've been following the celtics for for years and years and years now does it feel like the Hawks and Celtics used to play in the playoffs every single season. Or am I just envisioning like a green and third red block? Time. Third time since 2008. Okay, third time since 2008. Wow. And then I feel like in the 90s, in some capacity, early 90s, maybe they feel it, or 80s even, 80s. they played all the time. As, yeah, late 80s, it was consistent playing. 80, 86, 86 was the great Celtics team. That was allegedly the greatest quarter of basketball anyone's ever seen. I, I think it was 33-9 to nine or something in a third quarter against the Hawks. And then the, the, the classic series was, I think it was 87, when the Celtics were just all kinds of banged up. And Atlanta took a 3-2 lead, and Bird guaranteed they were going down to Atlanta and win the game, and they did. <laughs> and then uh, Bird said they had their chance, and we're, we're going to beat them on Sunday, whatever it was. And, and they did, and that was the dual game. <laughs> oh, man. So, somewhere Tree Rollins just shed a huge tear. <laughs> Tree bites man. <laughs> tree bit Danny Ainge, by the way. Don't, please, people always get this one twisted. Danny did not bite Tree. Tree bit Danny. <laughs> I, think, I think it just sounds better to think of Danny Ainge biting somebody. But yeah. That, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, cool. I, I wanted to, while we have you here, but I just wanted to get your, your maybe one cent, not even two cents, because, well, we touched on it, and this is not having to do with playoff basketball. I got to be totally honest, but just because I wanted to get your two cents on it. Uh, the hinky fallout, I know this is very off the, the radar of any playoff capacity, but if you can give me like 30 seconds on what you thought about that, I'd appreciate that, because I know that was a hot topic for Mike and I. Uh, I, think that, I think that Sam got done dirty. Uh, uh, in, by the by, that organization. At the same time, he kind of dug his own grave mm-hmm. um, because if they had attempted to put out even a slightly a team that slightly resembled an NBA team, I think he would have had more <laughs> more opportunity. But I also think that he got screwed. 
Okay, good. That's exactly what I think too. Uh, so <laughs> I just wanted to com- uh, kind of compound my own emotions on that. And it's also you, nice. You consulted because... with an expert to get your opinion validated. <laughs> well, it wasn't been... enough for you. I've been wrestling with this for days on days now because I've been here in Philadelphia trapped in this circle of just distrust with the organization, uh, especially on the heels of, well, we might fire Brett Brown or we might keep him. But that's a, that's a minute and a half too much Sixers talk, Mike. I apologize. I owe Mike a dollar fifty. Uh, every time I bring up the Sixers, so three dollars coming your way, buddy. Um, but uh, Paul, really appreciate uh, you coming on the pod, coming uh, on at such a pivotal time in the year too. We we always save our Paul Flannery podcast uh, for the the most important time, and that is the NBA playoff time. Um, you guys can find Paul at at P Flans on Twitter. Great follow for all of your. Well, we'll call it NBA information, but I'm sure it's going to be a little Celtic centric as we get into this first series where we don't know who's going to win against the Hawks. And maybe Paul will give you a very official prediction aside from uh, these kind of wavering predictions where I may have changed Mike and Paul. I'm so wavering, man. I'm still wavering. (laughs) By the the time the series starts, you'll have a firm prediction, I'm sure, that you can then change after one game. Right. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, man, thanks for – appreciate this very much. Is there anything uh, you want to uh, promote or or let us know that's coming out to look for? Um. I don't know. Well, we are going to be running Sunday shoot arounds throughout the postseason, which is a change from years past where we, um, we, it was a regular season feature, but we're going to try to do it during, during the playoffs, which will be interesting because we'll, it's always trying to hit a moving target during the regular season. Trying to do it during the playoffs could be, could be death, but, um, we're going to give it a shot and we're going to see how this goes. So, um, yeah, look for those. And thanks for everybody who reads that. That really, really, I, I cannot tell people who are listening to this who read that feature how much I appreciate you guys. Um, responding to and reading it because it's an awful lot of work, but it is a labor of love. We are huge fans as well. Yeah, man, I love well, you. Have to shoot around. <laughs> I, I am though. Hey, hey, hey. I could. I, I guess I have to be, but it is a great feature, and uh, I'm really excited to take it on the road for the playoffs. Uh, look out for it this Sunday as well. Uh, we're not stopping just because the playoffs just began. We will have one this Sunday. We don't Very stop, nice. man. <laughs> can't stop won't stop that's great no sunday shoot around is tremendous everyone find it subscribe to it do the same thing with this podcast this is the limited upside podcast you can find us on stitcher now we are also on soundcloud and itunes rate us subscribe to us uh, follow prada on uh, on twitter uh was that at prada what is it mike at prada <laughs> come on at, at, prada, uh, at mike mike prada sbn that's right. That's right. And I'm at EpiBen, and this is at Limited Upside. So give us some follows. Let us know about how terrible our predictions are because ultimately we're going to make predictions both ways. I think the Hawks and Celtics are going to win their first round series. Uh, <laughs> I can see that happening. <laughs> in an alternate universe. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, I uh, appreciate you coming on again, Paul. Mike, uh, always fun to talk sports with you here, buddy. And until next time, Limited Upside Podcast. Yeah.